Whoops. You stumbled into that leadership position. You had a big vision, big ideas, but it hasn't gone quite as you planned. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Accidental Leader Podcast with your accidental leader, Bo McDonald. Welcome in to episode number eight of the Accidental Leader. I'm your host and your fellow Accidental Leader, Bo McDonald. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode today. I want to talk about the word can't in this episode. Now, in future episodes, I'm going to do a deep dive into you know, mindset and just how badly our, our head trash keeps us from succeeding. But today, I'm going to keep it high level. And for a moment before I bring in my guest, I just want to share a story of my elementary school art teacher. I believe I've mentioned her on some previous episodes. If you've seen me speak, you've probably heard this story. But my elementary school art teacher, Ann Griner, was a, a huge piece of who I am today. In fact, anytime I, I hear her name, I can immediately smell those smelly markers they would give us in elementary school. That They would give us and immediately say, don't sniff these, knowing, knowing damn well we were all going to sniff the markers, the the cherry flavored, the the licorice scented. So I recall Miss Griner is is one tough cookie. I can still hear the piercing sound of her ruler slamming on the desk when things would start to get out of control in her classroom. And I recall how she wasn't liked by many, many of my fellow students for her sternness, but she was one of my favorites. She was one of my favorite teachers. She was always encouraging me to bring out my creativity. And despite her being stern, and I think that's what I appreciated about her, she was stern because she believed everyone could, and she wanted to get the most out of every one of her students. And I still have a handwritten note that she gave me in fifth grade as I was moving on to middle school. She ended the note with, never stop creating. More so what I remember is the sign on her wall above her desk. It was a faded old red construction piece of paper. It was in black marker, probably that same licorice scented black marker I was talking about just a moment ago. It was above her desk and in her fancy handwriting, it said, can't never did a thing. Now, at the tender age of eight, really didn't understand what that meant, but I sure do today. Every time I use the word can't, I think of her and I think about how I'm limiting myself, how I limit my team. I limit my organization, how I limit my clients, because I, I use the word can't. I've already ruled out the possibilities of, of what I can and can't do, and I've already failed as soon as I use the word can't. So I want to focus on the word can't today, or rather the word can. And I want to introduce you to today, uh, today's guest on the podcast. Today's guest proves that the phrase can't never did a thing isn't just words on a faded piece of construction paper. It's not just one of those those feel-good statements. It's real. And I want to welcome James McBride to the podcast today. James is the CEO of Lionshare Federal Credit Union up in North Carolina. Three, two, one. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com. Courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company, and Uncommon. James, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's great to be here, man. I'm, I'm glad to, to be talking to you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the topic. You know, I've I've tried to 
collect a, a gathering of of accidental leaders like myself and and we've all gotten here accidentally but we all have different stories about how we've gotten here our failures our successes so i want to go back a few months james you and i were both at a conference in new orleans and and the guest speaker that morning and the facilitator was a previous guest on on the podcast ash davis and during the exercise that ash asked us to participate in it was to to write a letter to someone and and a few brave souls got up to share that and you were one of them i was so glad you did because what you shared took me right back to miss griner's room and that faded piece of construction paper of can't never did a thing you're now the ceo of a very successful financial institution but your life very well may have turned out different if you listened to the can'ts before we really dive into to questions and before i step start peppering you with a bunch of questions would you just take a moment to share that story with us and, and the listeners? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, I think the backstory to that is when, when I was born, the doctors diagnosed me uh, with a uh, cerebral palsy. And um, as it turns out, I- I've been blessed by that and I'll be happy to explain how. Um, but early on in my life, my, my mother had taken me to uh, a doctor's appointment. And at that point, the doctor uh, said to my mother, okay, you need to really prepare for how your, your son is going to get through life because he can't ever expect to drive a car. He can't ever expect to live on his own. He can't expect to have a normal life. And Billy, he probably can't even expect to be able to walk with any level of normalcy. Um, and obviously, I don't remember, Bo. I don't remember being there. But uh, the story that my mom tells me is probably somewhat exaggerated, but I-, I do like it. And she says, well, that's interesting. And she proceeds to put me down on the ground uh, in, the, uh, in the doctor's office. And within just a few moments, as the story goes, the nurses and doctors are chasing me as I'm rushing down the hallway. Um, and from that on, uh, my mother did a really good job of instilling in me um, that I should never let someone else's perceived limitations influence how I live my life. And so, you know, throughout life, I've been called a lot of things. You know, I, I've, I've been called handicapped. I've been called disabled. I've been called um, any number of things that are neither slights nor slurs nor praise. Uh, it, none of it bothers me, frankly. But all of those things are limitations, usually, that someone else believes should, should apply to me. And so from a very early age, I just decided I'm going to do the things that matter most to me and pursue those things vigorously. Um, and so that's how I've lived my life. And it all started in that doctor's office. Um, and then you can stop along the way. You know, you talked about one of your early teachers and, and I didn't share this, uh, in New Orleans, but, uh, the truth is I had a similar experience with, with some of my teachers along the way who also encouraged me to not let those around me influence how I perceived myself. And so I, I've always had that mindset, Bo. From the very beginning, uh, to to do those things uh, that I want to do, and to be able to live my life in a way that I pursue the things that I want to do, 
and have that attitude that I will, not I can't. So I can only imagine that there, there's other folks listening to this. That they're, they're thinking back to their childhood now and thinking of all of the can'ts. I, I, I remember one of my dreams was to be a radio DJ, and I accomplished that. I did that for so many years. I remember my father saying, radio DJ, not a lot of people can do that. I, I don't know if I would set your heart on that. And, and, and I, I recall every time my father would say, you can't, I would say, I'll bet you I can. And I would go and do it. Sometimes... Sometimes I would just do it just just to prove him wrong, purely that. But as you were growing up, how many times did you encounter situations where where you were told you can't? And and how did you feel about that? And and what did you do to to get around that? I, I think I've been a little bit of a rebel in my life. Um, I, I tend to want to take a little bit more risk than most of the people around me, and I think I think you know. Steve Harvey once said, you are the sum total of your life's experiences. So when I think about how many times was I told I can't, or you can't, I guess, directed at me, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of times, it happened uh, literally every day of my life as a child. Um, Because for every teacher that I had that, that wanted me to do things more and and to fight against those who would tell me what I wasn't able to do. I had teachers that wanted to tell me, well, you can't do X or you can't do Y or you can't do Z because of X or Y condition. And um, my response to that has always been the same. I am going to go and do what everyone else is doing as a, as a child. I don't want to be excluded from anything. I don't want to hall pass. I, I, I don't want, anyone to to give me any um additional uh, considerations let me try let me get out there and give it my best go and you know the first time that anybody does anything they're probably not very good at it. but i i've always thought you know what it's not a matter of being perfect it's a matter of pursuit of perfection and, and I, I think for me that that's been the the goal in in my life even as a young kid I probably couldn't have articulated it that way, but I've always thought, gosh, it doesn't matter how good I am at something or how much better somebody else might be than me at something. I'm going to pursue it and I'm going to keep getting better and and, and I'm going to grade myself based off of my own behaviors, my own actions and my own accomplishments, not those those people who are around me. You know, I wish I could remember this exact story, but I just finished a book this past week called B2.0. It was Jim Collins and, and, uh, and a, a guest author on that. And one of the stories in it talks about BHAGs and, and someone that Jim was friends with wanted to climb this mountain that, that no one had really ever done before. And it was, it was a, a huge task and he kept failing, but he kept trying. And and his fellow mountain climbers would say, "Why don't you just go climb like everyone else does? You know, you're you're getting older, and you keep wasting your time on this one specific climb." Three years in, he finally accomplished it. The weather conditions were right. He had practiced. He knew where he was going. Everything aligned, and he was able to do it. When we talk about Kent, never did a thing. I I know I'm going to get emails and and. People, when I present this at conferences, always want to say, life isn't always perfect. Life isn't sunshine and lollipops. You can't speak things into existence like a James Ray Cole walk. And I, I agree, but 
but there are certain people in our lives that try to tell us what we can and can't do based on their perceived notions and and their own head trash. And and, and your story is just a, a great example of that, that, that you get to decide what you can and can't do, not others. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Bo, I mean, honestly, in my credit union here today, there, there are two words that are banned. You can't say those. I just said can't now. But they're not allowed to be said. And the first word is can't. Uh, and the second word is failure. And the reason why is because of what we've been talking about. I, I truly believe that failure is defined by the lack of will to get up. Um, because we all fall down. We all stumble. We all trip. We all make mistakes. They're, 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 none of us are perfect. So, you know, we make mistakes and, and along the way, eventually, hopefully, we learn from those. Um, you know, when, when I was a, a younger professional, I remember thinking to myself, I've made this big mistake. I was new in the company. I've made this big mistake. I've just got here. They've made all this investment in me and I've let everybody down. I made a mistake in one of my first days on the job. I think they're probably just going to say, you know, it's not going to work. And I'm walking down the hall one day, not long after that. And the COO of the company happens to walk by me. I've never been introduced to this man. He walks by me and he knows who I am. He says, Hey, James, I heard that you made a mistake. And I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, that's fantastic. Let's use that as an investment in your growth. I can't wait to see how you grow from here. And, and it's experiences like that, Bo, that I've taken along with me. And so when, 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 my, when my team comes in and they say, hey, we've got a problem, let's talk about the solution. Let's talk about what we're going to do to overcome that mountain, that hill, that problem. And if we start at the bottom and we say, well, there's no way that we're going to be able to do that, then we're never going to get there. In, in addition to that, if we say, gosh, we tried that and it didn't work, so let's abandon our goal, then your goal was never really meaningful to begin with. So when, when something doesn't work, get up, dust yourself off, go again. James, the number of conversations we've had have, have always been like this. I, I always feel filled up in my leadership tank when we talk. And and I don't know whether to say lucky or blessed, maybe both, but I always say that you, you are the sum of of the leaders that that you've been under, parents, grandparents, past leaders. And it sounds like you've had some good leaders that that have invested in you to to get you where you are today. So I want to fast forward. Two years now, you took over a financial institution. It wasn't performing great. It wasn't bad, but it was kind of stagnant, somewhat of a toxic culture. And I know you still have plenty of work to do. And I know if we were to have this interview 10 years from now, you're going to talk about failures over the next 10 years and, and things you've learned. But up to this point, 24 months later, your organization looks very different. Walk us through what you walked into at, at, at your credit union, some of your most recent accomplishments and how you as an accidental leader have been able to turn some of those issues around. Yeah. You know, when, when I first found out about this opportunity, there were things that were disadvantageous for me. I didn't know that Salisbury, North Carolina was a place. I, I, I didn't know that Lion's Share Federal Credit Union had this collection of employees and served the group of members that we do. 
and I ask real logical questions about the state of the credit union. I evaluated financials. I did my due diligence as I could from afar. But one of the things that I think is so true when you walk into an organization is, and, and sometimes it's like that rush of cold air if, you, if it, it's winter time, right? So if you walk outside after you've been in a well-heated area and it's really cold outside, it can smack you in the face. Well, that, that's what kind of happened to me when I, when I got here. Um, I, I walked in and my approach is really simple. Um, you know, you, you don't build business, you build people, people build the business. That, that's part of it. And I also believe that this is the truth. I work for them so that I can convince them to work for the member. Um, and, and so when I walk in, my thought is, gosh, I've got to figure out what's going on with these people. You know, because from the outside looking in, everybody says, oh, it's all sunshine and rainbows. Everybody is thrilled to be here. I walk in and there's a lot of people that are thinking about leaving. There's a lot of people that are looking for other opportunities or new jobs. Uh, they're, they're dissatisfied with lots of different things. And the first thing you do with a situation like that, Bo, is you build trust. And, and I think the way to do that is to let people know you care, right? So, so there's not a voice in this building that isn't heard by me. James, let me, let me pause right there because what you just said is one of the most important things that we need to learn as a leader. And I heard that many times I would, you know, over the last 10 years, especially early on. How did you do that? How did you not just build the trust? You have to earn that trust from your team and, and from a team who's, who's kind of been beaten up a little bit and, and a little gun shy to, to share their feelings. Like you said, you came in and, and everyone said, we're glad to be here. What they meant was, I'm glad to be getting a, a, a paycheck. Please don't fire me. And it, it kind of ended there. So how did you, how did you come in and, and earn that trust? Because I, I I don't want to leave this podcast without without you kind of sharing your journey through that piece because it's not easy. It's not, you know, I do this one thing or I say this one thing and boom, they trust me. Yeah, it's you know, you know, I'm 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 kind of a, you know, just a normal guy, right? I walk in, you, you know, I'm not imposing or anything of that nature, but I am the new CEO walking into a company, there's going to be a lot of trepidation trepidation there, right? So people are going to look around and go, "Oh, oh gosh, what can I say? What can't I say? There's no trust there. There's zero trust, right? So the way you start building trust is, is really, I think, again, I think things are simple. I think life is, is, is largely simple. I think people, for the most part, despite all of our complexities, I think people generally are, are pretty simple in what most people tend to want, especially from leaders. So trust starts with allowing people in, giving them a platform. I want you to know that I'm listening to you. Then the second thing is feedback doesn't mean anything if you don't act on it. So to start to build trust and earn that trust, you got to show them you actually matter. So when you say something to me, I listen and I care and I'm going to do it. But if I can't do what you're asking me to do, I have to communicate with you why and, and what the hurdles are. And if or if not, we're going to pursue what it is you want. So it's, it's showing that investment in people. Show, show those people that you love them, that you're going to care for them. Love being an action, not necessarily a feeling, right? So I, I'm, going to, I'm going to show that act of love. That I'm going to listen. I'm going to care. And I'm going to bring you along with me. I'm going to give you opportunities. And those are things that, that start to, to help you earn trust from people. That 
oh, if I say something, he actually listens and he actually cares. Or the leadership team actually listens or cares. We started a forum, Bo, uh, my second week here, talking about mission, vision, and values on Tuesdays. So on Tuesday mornings and Tuesday afternoons on most weeks, we have an open forum where we, we just open up the boardroom. We bring in coffee and donuts and things like that sometimes. And we just say to people, come on in. Give me five minutes. Give me 10 minutes. Give me whatever you want. I want to know what you think. And so we started with mission, vision, values. Now we talk about everything from balance sheet, to strategy, to marketing. We talk about everything that's going on in the credit union so that people can know what's happening. And, and what we did was we took a credit union that was very closed. People didn't know what was going on. Uh, frankly, when I arrived here, at least 50% of this, this company thought that the credit union was about to close. And now people understand, oh, we've had a very successful year. In fact, we've had two consecutive, very successful years. And, and our work has done that. And when I say something, the leadership team listens. That is how you earn trust from people. That's not an easy thing to accomplish. I say that thinking about the first five years of my life as an accidental leader, knowing I did none of those things that I would try to bribe people with pizza or you can leave five minutes early on Friday, didn't necessarily build the, the culture that I saw in my head of, of what I wanted. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. It, it, it's taken me years and it's going to take me more years to, to get where I want to be. But, so you're talking about walking into a room full of people who are a little bit jaded and saying, talk to me. I'm open. I want to make this thing work and, and you know, listening and being empathetic. Flip that around for a moment, because one of the things that I, I know I and, and you've had to learn as an accidental leader, uh, and I know plenty of our listeners can relate to, it's having to make tough decisions that impact good people for the good of the entire organization. So when you walked in, I, I, know, I know you had to deal with that, and it's certainly not easy. And I remember you sharing a story about good old Southern mac and cheese. So I, I know you can relate to this story and I know you've got a fun way to, to deal with, with this heavy part of the conversation. Yeah, there's the, the mac and cheese. Oh my gosh, that years ago, I, I, I became for the first time in my career, a leader by title. And I, I, I thought I had achieved this, this. I had letters before my name or after my name, however you want to think about it. And oh my gosh. I've made it. Well, the very first thing on my list was to uh, circumvent one of my colleagues <laughs> and to interact with that team uh, and, and give them some of my, uh, my thoughts and uh, feedback and direction. Uh, and that team was told, hey, don't, don't listen to, to this other person. Listen to James. And I, I, I realized very quickly, I knew from the beginning, hey, this isn't going to work. This is disastrous. What in the world are you doing talking to, to my boss, the, the CEO? And he said to me, you know, James, I'm not going to fire that person because I like to go to that restaurant that her husband owns and eat his macaroni and cheese. So I don't care what she does or how she interacts with anybody else. She stays. And I'm not going to take her title away from her. I'm not going to take anything away from her. And in, in that moment, I'm going, okay, so we're making business decisions based off of the macaroni and cheese you like to eat on Sunday afternoon. That's great. 
But what you learn from that, you learn from everything if you, if, if you allow yourself to. And what I learned from that was, oh, man, you know what? This is, this, this is hurting dozens, if not hundreds of people uh, in so many ways. And so you fast forward from the macaroni and cheese and I get here. And there's some people that maybe aren't in the right seats. Uh, maybe some people who aren't performing um, the way that they need to. Um, and, and the question you have to ask yourself, and, and, and I've, I've made some mistakes along the way for sure, but the question you have to ask yourself is, what's the right time to give bad news? And, and, and then I think about, oh, how do, we, how do we do this in a way with a small team really invested with each other? This group of people, when I walk in, talk about themselves as a family. So there's a very close-knit feeling to this group of people. So you make a decision that affects one person, man, there's a ripple effect through the organization, especially if it's early on in, the, in, the, in, in your time together. And people might be thinking, oh, my gosh, am I next? What's going to happen? What did this person do? Even if it's obvious to them, they, they often sometimes have adverse uh, reactions to decisions that are made by leadership or whoever they perceive to be in charge. And so I labored with a decision. What do I do? And in fact, uh, some personal tragedy impacted our team during that time when I'm trying to decide what to do. Um, and I decided, uh, Bo, uh, that I needed to give grace. And, and I think grace is such an important part of what we do, um, is that you have human beings forming functions. You also have a business that has to achieve certain results in order to be successful. And so you, you've got all this at play and you've got humans that, that are struggling. And if you, if you go back to my, my business philosophy, you don't build business, you build people, people build business. Well, my people were hurting. So we had to give grace during that. And as we started to recover, we started to be a little bit more concerned about results. We started to be a little more focused on how we coach. And along the way, you keep your stakeholders involved, right? You let people know this is the path that we want to go down. These are the results that we want to achieve. You don't hide all of it, but you also stay positive and say, this is where we're going to get to. And this is our team. And let's see how far we can go with the team as it's constructed. And if it, if it can't go any further, then maybe we change the team. But until then, let's love our people both by action and by, you know, how we treat others. And so we did that. And, man, you know, and what we realized was coming out of that, you know, there, there, was, there was some damage that, that resulted from that. But I'll take that damage that we have, have to repair now because we didn't lose sight of the fact that we had humans and families involved and we cared for those people in a way that was meaningful to them. And I think long-term, our business and all of our people that make that business are going to benefit from the way that people were treated as we move forward in making the business strong. And it's a tough decision. And, and leading up to it, you can, you can double, triple, and, and quadruple and overthink, should I or, or shouldn't I, and, and let that get in the way of, of making that that decision that you know in your gut is the right decision. And what I've learned from that, when I've let things go on for way too long, when I know I need to make this tough decision, but 
but I'm afraid to. I can't. That word that we opened up the, the podcast with, I realize once that decision's made, there's two, two ways you go about it. One, a person who's just not doing well in that position, they're, they're unhappy people and, and causing toxicity in the environment. And you see the rest of the team rally around and say, finally, finally, we, we can get back together and, and get to work and not have to deal with the drama. And then recently, we, we had to do this in our organization. There was a team member who was such a great guy. And it's one of those that if we were just judging his performance based on everyone loves the guy, we would never get rid of him. But we had to make that tough decision. And I was so proud of my leadership team of, of how they did that and how they rallied around and shared the news with him. But also before even making that decision, calling other contacts to say, hey, we've got this great person in this position. He's not a fit for us. Just just based on on culture, but he's really good at this. Do you have a place for him? And before we even before we had to share that news with him, we said, "Hey, man, here, here's five different things that that we've got lined up for you that we know is going to be a, a much better fit." And I was so proud of my team at that point because we've we've come so far in having to make those decisions. And I I really believe that's the difference in the why. There, there's two types of accidental leaders: those who wanted to be a leader and those who were gifted that honor. And, and I think. The way you go about making decisions like that truly defines, do I want the title? Do I want the paycheck? Or am I happy to be here to, to lead and serve? And it's a question we've talked about in the past, and I, I know you're passionate about it. It's a, a gut punch reality check question. Every one of us as leaders should ask ourselves. I know you've got a story with that. I, I would love for you to share that with, with the listeners as well. You know, I, I think, Bo, that you know, the, the thought that comes to my mind that's, well, first, I think you invest in people while they're with you, not because they're with you. Uh, and, and that seems like a subtle difference, but it's so massive. And so I see myself from a leadership perspective as, you know, a mission first heart led leader who really believes in investing in people. So couch that this way. And then, and then I've got this hard decision that we've been talking a little bit about. I go ahead, I make the decision, I sit down and we're talking about it. And, and I'm, I've done the same thing that you're talking about. What opportunities are out there that may be appealing? What can we do to shift? What are our options? Labored over that. How do we, how do we care for this person? And the reality was when I sat down and, and talked to this individual, they started to cry. When I said, I'm, I'm taking away this, this opportunity that, that you have, I'm taking it away. They started to cry tears of joy because they felt trapped. Um, you know, it was, I didn't think that I could get out of this position. I didn't know what to do. Now I learned from that too. Like, okay. So there wasn't as much openness and trust as I thought there was. Right. So you, you've always got to be aware of what's happening and, and, and what's the why, but. You know, if I had had that conversation six months prior, uh, or even three months prior, it, it it could have taken away so much stress from that person that I didn't realize was realize was there, because I had convinced myself that taking the action that I knew I needed to take was going to somehow injure this person. Um, and so sometimes I, I contradict myself in the things that that I know I ought to be doing versus what I believe I should do as a leader of people. 
and that being that investor and that driver, that person who provides vision, all of those things. Um, and so sometimes that conflict just smashes up against it and you're like, oh my gosh, how dull was I in this, in this moment where I didn't see this? Um, but sometimes those things are just hidden. And so those, in those moments, that's when you need to capitalize on it and say, okay, how do we, how do we make this relationship better? How do we make the organization better as a result of what we've learned from these decisions in this situation? James, you are perhaps one of the youngest leaders that I work with out of all of my clients. However, you are one of the most empathetic, thoughtful leaders. And that's why I love having these conversations with you. It's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because you, I, I said this when I opened the podcast, you always fill my, my leadership tank. I, I want to go be a better leader. Now, you're an accidental leader, but my guess is that there were people who invested in you that you've picked these things up along the way in your accidental leadership journey. If there's one person that you could give a shout out to right now that, that you say, I am the leader today because of this person, who would that be? You know what? Um, and I, I hope she finds this. And, and I can tell you a couple of quick stories about her. Um, her name's Tammy Christian. And uh, she was someone who really invested in me early on in my development as a leader. And, and she would just say things. She was so direct, Bo, that it was sometimes painful. Um, but you would learn so much. And, and I remember this one situation specifically where I'm, I'm, I'm in my branch office and it was a headquarters location at a large credit union. And she, the, the, the administrative offices were there. She walked through my lobby. I happened to see her. Her head snapped. She saw something in my branch and then she was gone. And I didn't think much more of it. I just thought, oh, that was kind of interesting. Uh, she she came back into uh, my branch three hours later. Uh, and she said, James, I need to see you in your office right away. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. I wonder what's going on. So she she brings me into the office and she says, she points out that one of our employees uh, happens to be uh, violating a company policy. And it, it was obvious to her that that was happening. And so she asked me, she said, Bo, did you know that this person was, was outside of policy? And I said, I did. And she said, huh, what have you done about it? And I said, well, Tammy, I haven't done anything. And she said, okay, what do you think I should do about that? And I said, well, to be honest, uh, you, you, should, you should probably reprimand me. Now, that didn't happen that quickly. I didn't want to say that immediately. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that, that, that I was, was quick on the, on, the, on the fire back there. I didn't want to say it, but she just allowed me to sit in that uncomfortable silence for a few moments. And when I gave her the answer that she knew I had to give her, she said to me, great, let's consider that done. And let's not have a conversation like this again. And she left. But but it's moments like that, and I, I I have dozens of those that that I could give you over a three or four year period that we work together, and it's it's moments like those where she helped me improve in a very meaningful way, very concise, and I've used her stories that she um she poured into my career 
over and over again with the people that I've come across since. And so she has really, really been kind of at the base of my leadership growth as someone who really helped me build a foundation of understanding what it means uh, to establish expectations and, and accountability uh, and to do it in a meaningful way. And so for sure, if I'm giving a shout out, it's to Tammy Christian. You know, I hear stories like that. And I think back in my own career of different leaders and how they would approach a situation. And I go back to the very first episode when I, I shared the the stories of the two different Johns and, and the story you shared. I think of how, how the second John, the not so great of a leaderish John would have approached that. And he probably would have jumped down your throat. He, he would have said, why aren't you doing something about this? And, and you know, raked you over the coals and you would have felt horrible. You, you wouldn't have learned anything. You would, you would have just become scared of him. And then there's the other John, the, the first John, the, the, the real leader John, who, who sounds exactly like Tammy, who took every opportunity, as long as you weren't costing us a million dollars, use this as a learning opportunity. What do you think I should do about this? How would you handle this? And it holds you more accountable and, and you really learn something from it. I've, I've really tried to emulate that so many times. I'll, I'll walk into a situation like that with one of my staff or one of my leaders, and it's very uncomfortable for them. It's kind of enjoyable for me because you ask that question, what do you think I should do about this? And you know, they're, you know what they want to say and you know what they don't want to say. But gosh, they learn so much from that. And, and coming back you know, a week later, having a conversation, tell me about your thought process. What did you learn from that? And it's it's meant so much to me when when people do that to me. And I've seen my leadership, uh, I've seen my leadership team grow so much from handling problems like that as well. James, as we wrap up, a few final thoughts on this episode to other accidental leaders who are struggling with the word "can't." They've got all of this head trash from from previous leaders, from from other adults when they were a child, telling them they can't because. What would you say to help them get around all the lies and head trash that are getting in their way of success? You know, Bo, I think it, it goes back to uh, what you're willing to accept. And I, I often tell people goals without action are just dreams. But beyond that, a goal really isn't a goal if you're not willing to put in the work. So oftentimes I hear people use the word can't as a euphemism for, I don't want to do the work. So if you're saying to yourself, gosh, we can't do X, we can't do Y, we can't do Z. I hear that so many times in the credit union industry from leaders saying, our credit union can't do X, our credit union can't do Y, our credit union can't do Z. And I'll say, well, is it, is it regulatory? Why are you not able to do this? And, and it's self-limitation. Just remove that. Dream big. And say, I'm going to accomplish X, Y, or Z. By when? Tell, write that down. We're going to do this by this time. And gosh, like I said from the beginning, you might not get there. You might fall. You might scrape your knees. You might, you know, uh, mess up your elbow. Get back up. Dust yourself off. Keep going. Don't lose sight of those goals. Never, ever, ever. Limit yourself because of some perception someone else has. Uh, just go right at it, achieve it, and then move on, and then find another goal. And then the more times you do that, the less times you'll hear yourself saying, 
I can't or we can't. And that, I think, will separate you from everybody else who's not willing to cross that line of success. That word can't at the, at the bare minimum is, is a very convenient excuse to not even try. I've found that so often in the past. James, I love our conversations. I'm so glad that, that you were able to make some time to, to join me on the podcast. And I, I certainly hope I can have you back because we could probably pull about 10 more episodes out of our conversations. Uh, this has been a, a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. I had so much fun talking to you. And I'm so glad you're doing this, Bo. So best of luck to you. And, and let me know if there's anything else we can do together. James McBride, CEO of Lion Share Federal Credit Union. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Accidental Leader podcast today. And thanks to each of you who take the time to listen to this podcast. And if you learned something or you've got that aha moment, I hope you'll share it with a friend who, who needs encouragement as a leader. And be sure to sign up for our upcoming Accidental Leader newsletter. You can visit theaccidentalleader.com to learn more. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com, courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company, and Uncommon.